This is the Right Way Podcast. Right Way Podcast. The 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 Right Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Right Way Podcast program, a uh, very special episode of the Right Way Podcast program this evening. As tonight, I spoke to someone a little bit different from the normal, uh, the normal novelist ilk of which I speak to. I spoke to a screenwriter, very successful screenwriter, Australian screenwriter, Sean Grant. Sean Grant uh, is the writer of several films, I think six is there, thereabouts. He's perhaps best known for his collaboration with uh, filmmaker director Justin Kurzel. They made their first film together, which was Snowtown, which was uh, received to much critical acclaim, was shouted accolades, uh, deservedly so. Since then, they've returned or they've collaborated again on, again, a hugely well-received uh, film, an adaption of a Peter Carey, I think it's a Man Booker winning uh, True History of the Kelly Gang. Forgive me if it's not a, a Man Booker winning novel, but yes, Peter Carey's True History of the Kelly Gang, which was uh, released on Stan, again to critical acclaim. The film in which, their latest film, which I talked with Sean Grant tonight about is Nitrum. Nitrum is a... I don't want to say biopic, but it is somewhat of a biopic about Martin Bryant, perhaps the Australia's most historically hated man, deservedly so. Uh, the I don't want to use sensational language, but the monster behind the Port Arthur massacre. And what this film does is it kind of follows the events leading up to Port Arthur, the infamous horrific uh, massacre at Port Arthur, without actually showing the events of Port Arthur, uh, as you'll soon find from Sean there as to the reasonings by, behind that, along with uh, not in, any sort of displaying of violence, on-screen violence within the film. But yeah, I want you all to give a big digital round of applause to Sean. But just before that, I also wanted to give a heads up, naturally given the nature of the subject or the subject material in which we were discussing the matter, uh, it, it included discussing of the Port Arthur Massacre, Martin Bryant. So that is gun-related violence, a mass shooting. Mass shooting is also applicable to and related to those that Sean has heard about or uh, been experiencing over in America, where I think he's mostly based. So yeah, please, big heads up if you are triggered by any of this sort of discussion about gun-related violence, mass shootings. I mean, who isn't? But all the same, this might not be the episode for you. But yes, I digress. In the interim, please give a big digital round of applause to screenwriter Sean Grant discussing with me his new film, Nitrum. Sean Grant, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program this uh, glorious sunny Saturday, oops, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday afternoon. Can't even get the day right, Tuesday afternoon. How are you doing today? Uh, very well, Sam. Self? Yeah, good, 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 good. It's a, it's a short week, so I have minimal to complain about, but um I wanted to start off, Sean, with finding out what uh, what originally drew you to to this project, this uh, adaptation of Martin Bryant's life, albeit the events leading up to Port Arthur. Um, well, I think uh, like everyone old enough, I remember very vividly where I was when the news came across of what had happened twenty five years ago, and I think it's it, you know it was. <clears throat> Uh, just the most seismic event I can recall in our nation's history, to be frank. It was, you know, I think America has September 11 and, you know, uh, Britain had have their, their same things. Um, and, and for us, uh, it, it really felt like that moment, everything changed. Everything that I knew about my country had changed. Um, and then in the space of the 12 days 
following it, you know, what we were able to achieve in terms of gun legislation and reform, I think, you know, in the space of those 12 days, we saw the best and the worst of our nation. You know, people always go on about America's Cup victories or the Ashes wins or whatever as being this great moment for Australia. Well, I've never been prouder to be an Australian than on the day we, John Howard and, and a bipartisan, you know, um, group of politicians agreed to, to change gun legislation. So it's been in my head for a very long time, um, so long to the point where, you know, I remember handing in the shooting script to Justin of Snowtown, my mine and his first film, and he was like, is there anything else in that head of yours, you know, in this world? And I said, look, uh, I've always, there's something about Port Arthur that I need to speak to and say, but I don't know how or why at the moment. So I didn't do anything for years and years. I, I'd researched it and, and put a bit into it, but it really wasn't until I've spent the past six years living in America. Uh, I moved back um, partly due to COVID, but mostly due to a love of my country last year. But um, for that six years, you know, it's just a different, in terms of guns, it's just a different place and gun violence. So it was sort of 2018, it was a, just a general fatigue and frustration with mass shootings that we were seeing. There was, you know, there was one quite close, there was a, a guy running into my own grocery store that I would shop at and started shooting. There was one in Pittsburgh at the end of October and then 10 days later there was one in Thousand Oaks and I just, uh, I was just pulling out my hair going, I don't know what's going on here. You know, I, I thought... What we managed to achieve was wonderful and I wanted other nations to do it. And I wanted, you know, as an artist, as a writer, all I could do is write. I just thought, well, let me um, put out a cautionary tale, I guess, of what happens when um, mentally unwell individuals get their hands on, you know, semi-automatic weapons. And, um, yeah, so I started writing. I wrote it exceptionally quickly for me. Um, didn't tell anyone I was writing it. Uh, it was the one time I ever spent Christmas in... LA and anyone that spent Christmas in LA, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a weird place to spend it. So I think it, it I think it helped. And um, yeah. And then I kind of sent it to Justin fresh off finishing it. Cause I, I just knew he was the right director for it and said, check your inbox. And it was, mm -hmm. uh, that was, that was a decade after I'd never mentioned it to him again, other than that first time when I handed in the shooting script and then from delivering it 10, 10 years later. What was it like? Because obviously you haven't shied away even by virtue of the fact that both of you guys worked on Snowtown together. That was your first project. So it's not like you've um, shied away from kind of delving into some of Australia's darkest sort of historical events and figures. Um, but what sort of, because obviously there's been quite a lot of um, failed projects of people trying to adapt this, this source material. I remember one that was coming up, this is years ago now, Blonde Volvo, I think it was called. Um, all yeah, of them right. kind of fallen apart. Um, there must was it was there any sort of apprehension that you felt um, prior to to attending that to just and then sort of embarking on this project was that sort of going on in your head at the same time as like all these sort of shootings or, or um, how that worked? Oh look, the apprehension was there. I mean, it was not about failed projects from others. It was about should this story be told? Why mm. should this story be told? You know, um, wanting to be sensitive to those that had to suffer through it. Um, they were they were my apprehensions. Mm. Um, you know, Snow Snowtown was similar. I remember I remember I had the idea for that, and I, at the time I was a school teacher. I wasn't in the industry. Uh, I was studying filmmaking part time, and I had the idea. And I, even then, I remember people saying, 
um, oh, I hear there was two other filmmakers, established filmmakers that were trying to do the story. And I just backed myself in and bought the rights to the book that I adapted with my own money and said, well, whatever happens, I need to get it out of me. Like I, I, it was so connected to me in that what I was trying to say and why that I just had to. So I didn't look back um, on that occasion. I, um, and now, you know, having done it for for a decade, I feel a little more confident about trying to be able to get things up. But um, no, my my apprehension just all stemmed from the fact that it's, if not the most sensitive issue this nation's faced, it's you know it's right up there in the top top few. So uh, I just yeah, it's probably why it took me ten years to write it because I was yeah. terrified of it. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned about the sensitivity to survivors and, and victims' families and all that, and I mean, I felt like personally that did shine through. What about the the research process part of it? How did that sort of go, Sean? Like, did you did you obviously have a sort of similar sort of process in which you had with Snowtown, or did that sort of change over the course or gestate over 10 years? How did you sort of work that around? Yeah, well, when doing, like, true stories are, you know, there's not just Snowtown, but... Um, Penguin Bloom was a film I had in cinemas this year. It's a true story. Mindhunter was a television series I did, True Story. You know, I've done a lot of them. And, you know, and I'm a firm believer in reading as much as you can. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit like acting. I say that to actors, you know, read as much as you can. And then when you're on set, forget about it. And it's a little bit when writing as well. You just stockpile the research and then you just got to forget it and go, tell the story you know if you're feeling because at the end of the day you know you you weren't in the room and people that are watching it weren't in the room so mm. you know you're about trying to get to the truth and, and that doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be absolutely verbatim on it so I kind of read as much as I can and then I just start and I just try to try to tell the truth that I'm uh, attempting to tell in that in that version of the story knowing full well that it's a scripted narrative and it's mm. not you know I say it's not a documentary, but we all know documentaries are cut in certain ways, to, you know, for the filmmaker's choice as well. I mean, you know, what is the truth? How does that look? It's, you know, it depends from which POV you're looking at things. So, you know, you, you do as much as you can, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm the first person to say it's art. It's not, it's not backed. Yeah, very um, much. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what I did on NITRAM. Sean, in terms of like you mentioned telling the truth and, and I, I totally get that as well and telling the, the truth as much as can be kind of derived from whatever sort of sources that you've, that you've used there to compile this. What about the balance or the tightrope that I feel that you must have walked with telling as much of an authentic and complete story as you possibly can but also at the same time not uh, humanising too much or demonising, I guess, kind of trying to again and kind of harkening back to this self, sort of telling the truth as much as possible there must have been some sort of semblance of a tightrope having to to balance that of telling this complete story as well as not mm. cast a synthetic or an overly negative light even given the subject yeah well i don't think anyone i don't think anyone would have a problem if it was too negative to be honest but yeah mm. the 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 other absolutely it was the hardest thing i've ever had to write in my life mm. um for multiple reasons, but, you know, the main one was the point of view. So, you know, as I was talking about, it's been in my head for 10 years. 
uh, I'd looked, I'd researched it, I'd looked at it, I'd written, maybe not written, but I'd mapped out different versions and they were from different points of view. You know, there's the, from the police, from the survivors, from the victims, you know, was it just 24 hours of the day and you, was, you know, I was around the events. And I'd looked at it multiple sort of ways, but it was really sort of in 2018 when strangely enough, I'm, hadn't given it a thought for years, probably, you know, or not years. That's not, every time there's a mass shooting, Port Arthur is mentioned in the, in the States by late night hosts or news broadcasters or something. So it, it does come to mind, but I hadn't really sat down and done anything with it. And then I'm watching the basketball one, whatever, Friday night, and um, these two former athletes start arguing because of these two mass shootings that I mentioned earlier had just happened. And one of them is just, defending his right to carry an AR-15 and go hunting with it and, and have it in his home. And um, it was kind of then, strangely enough, and it does come, I think, to writers when you least expect it, that the penny kind of drops. And it was that was when I knew how I had to tell it. And it was because I knew firmly then I, I wanted to do an anti-gun film, but anti-gun films to me in the past have meant you know, lawyers at the front of courtrooms or journalists or whatever, and they're a bit soapboxy and a bit diatribe type stuff. And and that was kind of not how I write. So um, in that moment, I was like, okay, what I want to do to this, you know, former former athlete, other than throttle him, is 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 kind of walk, put him in the shoes of an individual who should not be near guns, has obviously got clearly things that issues that are going on in his personal life and mentally. And I want to walk with that character for however long, 70 minutes, 80 minutes. And then I want you to walk into a gun shop in Australia in 1996 or in America in 2021 and see how easy it can be for them to get their hold of things. So once I'd settled on that and I knew what it was and I started writing, I knew it was going to be the hardest thing because of what you were talking about, which is, you know, you, your protagonist is the most hated man in Australia, mm. essentially. Mm. I mean, that's if that's not a challenge for a writer, I don't know what is. I mean, even Snowtown, while the protagonist, Jamie, killed four people, it was very much a corruption of innocence. So you had mm. this larger monster of John Bunting sort of overshadowing it. So it's, it was, you know, in that regard, it was much easier to write. This, there's no, there's none of that. There's no excuses. That, you know, the blame by the end of the film lands firmly at the feet of, of who it should um, in the character of Nitram. So that was greatly challenging. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I tried to, with all my characters, I try to, you know, look at it from their points of view and try to understand, okay, how would he be feeling in this moment, in this moment? Um, yeah, and, and just tried to make it in some way familiar because when I read about, you know, the perpetrator, he did feel strangely familiar right up until the point he did what he did mm. he felt like that guy that you kind of know that you kind of see and you cross the road to avoid or you picked on at school or you know we've all got those characters in our lives um so i could i could relate i guess in in that you know it wasn't necessarily me but i i knew of those characters so um yeah i just tried to tell it as truthfully as i possibly could and and then you know you're really behold it to the audience whether they stick with it or not mm. they can very easily turn off and some people won't even tune in but um you know i think now more than ever we need to look at things from other people's point of view and, and step inside other people's shoes i think too many of the world um 
just look at it, you know, have, have tunnel vision a little bit at the moment. It's, it's my way or it's no way. And, and I've been a big believer and all my work kind of, you know, looks at things from, or a lot of it from outsiders' points of view, I guess. Yeah, it's, look, it's, I mean, it's interesting that you also mentioned about the different sort of versions that you kind of uh, were writing or, or drafting um, prior to determining the one in which you, you ultimately settled on what became obviously went on the screen, uh, particularly like day of sort of different characters' perspectives. One thing uh, I liked and I wanted to ask you about is uh, I wanted to know roughly when uh, you determined that it wasn't going to, there was no, the act of the massacre itself was not going to be shown and there was no real on-screen. I mean, there was one sort of moment in the, the car dealership, mm. but there wasn't really much, I don't think there was any sort of on-screen violence, really overtly overt violence that was shown. I mean, obviously um, it's tacitly there and, and you've given that enough to, to the viewers, but when was that yeah. decision made, Sean, in terms of when you were going to do that? Uh, look, it wasn't straight away, but it was pretty early on. I mean, mm. I think, you know, yeah, it was It was just different. It's funny, in the since the film's come out and reviews and whatnot, and people obviously link it back to Justin and, and mine, other films, True History and, and, um, and Snowtown. And in Snowtown in particular, I keep reading or seeing this, uh, you know, on, on occasion there's words like fetishizing violence or there's, there's way more violent and all of those things, which, by the way, it is more violent. But the violence served a purpose in that film. Like, mm. the, the violence had to be there. Uh, I knew from the very first draft, you know, and, 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 and it's funny when people say that because in, I remember being in France at the Cannes Film Festival of Snowtown and a journalist said, why did you have to make it so violent to me? And I was like, they killed 12 people and I show one murder. Mm. Um, I thought that was the epitome of restraint. Um, but don't get me wrong, like you're in that room and, and, and you know, I, I'm digressing from the film that we were supposed to be talking about, but on that one it was really from the very first draft that, you know, the, that, that bathtub scene, I don't know if you've seen the film, but the bathtub scene was lasting pages and pages. And it's because as an audience you're in the shoes of the protagonist, Jamie, and you have to be at the point where you go just kill him. Mm. because you are so upset by it, which is exactly what that character felt. So there's a real purpose for the violence in that film, and I stand by it a 1,000%. And in this one, it wasn't necessarily, like I didn't see, the, the per there wasn't a clear purpose for the scene because kind of when that, the, the protagonist pulls the trigger, you kind of separate from him. It, it's, he's unsavable, you mm. know, if it, mm. If there was any sort of empathy, it's, it's completely disintegrates. So it was always about the lead up. There was, you know, in my research, it was I was interested in seeing these little moments, these kind of sliding door moments where it was like, oh, if it just this had happened, maybe things would have been different. Or if, you know, this person hadn't passed or if, you know, the interest in surfing had continued and it wasn't in guns and, it was all the build-up. There was nothing that I read. It's just, you know, and I've read it all uh, blow by blow and you see them on the, you know, the Channel 7 docos and all that sort of jazz of killed this person here and this person here and this person. I don't want to hear about it. I don't, it, it, didn't, it didn't inform the story to me. So it was pretty early on where it was like this would be the point um, where we were going to end the story. I can totally see what you're talking about in terms of with with Snowtown. I mean, because you know, the fact that there was 12 people murdered and violence was was 
pervasive throughout. I don't think that was avoidable. Whereas I, the, what I took mm. from it, Trem, was that it was the lead up to the act itself, not the acts or the the, the massacre. Yeah. That was that was what you were trying to to depict there, and the sort of uh, I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if I can know if I could say mental deterioration because I don't know if Bryant was ever stable particularly, and I feel like that's that's sort of what's been captured as well within the, the scenes. But yeah, yeah, but it certainly it certainly would have gotten clearly got worse following mm. you know the, the passing of, of certain individuals. But no, I agree. I think it was it was very much about the lead up, and and you know what? Sadly, because there are so many of these shootings around the world we kind of know you know while i was writing it christchurch happened while i was writing it nova scotia happened like these these events keep occurring and 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 on the news you see that you see the bloody you know ground and all of this sort of stuff so i think we get that what you don't see is where did these boys and i use the word boys quite clearly based on their behavior where do they come from and in my research so many similarities kept coming up about what types of individuals they were, you know, be it anger management issues, struggle at school or an absence or a loss of a father figure, that it was like, I, I, need, to, I need to dig deeper into trying to investigate who these people are because it keeps happening. And if it didn't keep happening, the film wouldn't exist because it wouldn't need to exist. But I felt like I had to speak to this, sadly, this, this common occurrence of, of, of horrible violence. It's interesting and, and probably the most saddening sort of aspect is that, yeah, it's still relevant. Something that's happened within Australian history 25-odd years ago is now still all too kind of um, scarily relevant within. It's interesting you mentioned as well with the like somewhat being inspired by listening to two commentators talking, or sorry, two, two basketball players, I think you said, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and how it's, it, it's, it's applicable in 2021 within the sort of sphere in which they're arguing with the, the sales and oh. the carrying automatic weapons. I wish it wasn't. I, I wish, you know, and that was the thing. I remember when I first sat down to write it, it was I kind of wanted to use it as a cautionary tale and a reminder to what can happen and what can be achieved. Because I do, as I said, I think what, what our government achieved was amazing. So that, you know, I'd much prefer the reminder to be in a scripted narrative than a news report. And as I was writing it, things like in Canada and New Zealand were occurring which it took that for them to change their legislation. And I was kind of setting out to hopefully, and, you know, it's pie-in-the-sky stuff. I know all artists think they can change the world, but but that, you know, it, you can see it and it can have some impact on on someone somewhere and, and changes can be made. So, yeah, it's sadly all too relevant um, and, and I wish it wasn't. But, um, yeah, that was all, all I know how to do is write, so that's what I did. How did it change, Sean, with, with the redrafting? And obviously, I mean, you've collaborated with Justin Cozell, what, three, at least three or four, three times now? Yeah, with, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with Snowtown and then um, the truth to the Kelly Gang. So you've done legendary and infamous or semantics with that. How is that bringing that to life and working? Because I, I, I suspect that you probably worked well before shooting ever started. You guys collaborated and back and forth. How did that go about transforming it into what ultimately kind of translated onto screen? Oh, Jos is just a great, you know, he, I, I trust him with my work more than I trust anyone. Mm. So um, he's just a great sounding board. So, yeah, essentially, you know, and it's changed over the years, I think. Um, obviously, Kelly Gang is different because I'm adapting a book. So, mm. um, uh, but, but essentially the process is the same. I go away and write and then give it to him. He's the first person I give it to and he'll, you know, throw his two cents worth in and then we'll 
bat it back and forth until, well, not even until we shoot. While we're shooting, we're on set. You know, he has the grace to have me involved and on set all the time. And, you know, I know I do what he did to me through the whole development process. I give my two cents worth on, I don't know if that's the right, you know, look or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it's filmmaking such a lonely job writing in general is such a lonely job mm. that, it, that it's great to have, you know, someone that you trust and, and, and respect and admire. And, um, and I think we just bring out the best in each other. I mean, we, we both work with other people and do other things. And I think, you know, the six films I've made, he's done three and I've worked with three other great directors, but, um, yeah, it's just a it's just a relationship built on respect and 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 mostly just built on honesty. Like mm. just um, from the very first moment we ever met, we just kind of say it how it is, and we've both got pretty thick skins. Um, I say mine's thicker than his, but it has to be as a writer. But um, uh, and it's yeah, you know, hopefully it's not our last one together. Um, we, we we enjoy the process, so and it seems to be working. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I strongly doubt it will be. I'm sure there'll be succession to come after after going through and doing a bit more touring and or speaking to people like me. Yeah, um, yeah. I think these three would definitely. You know, when I sent Justin the script, I said oh, it feels like these three are kind of have some sort of connective tissue that they kind mm. of go together. You know, they were very much about sort of these individuals who feel isolated or are and they're alone or or not being heard, and they kind of in some way burn the world sort of down around them. Um, that was always, you know, something that I said, I feel like this is the third chapter in a way and we'll do something, you know, quite different, I'm sure, next time. But these, these three I definitely see as being, um, having something in common. And, and parenting is a, a huge piece in all three too. Mm. Sure. With this, this film, I've talked to a few people about it. And I've mentioned it. I've mentioned that I've watched it. I've had the, the, the good fortune of watching it twice, actually. Um, you know, sneak preview. And most people, when I, when I hear mention it and say, they say, oh, oh, how is it? And, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this automatic sort of um, apprehension or mm-hmm. uh, reluctance to, to even consider it. And I'm, and I'm thinking as a filmmaker, a screenwriter, how inherently difficult that is to because to, if, if you can't even get people bumps on seats, as it were, watching um, due to the the subject matter, just an immediate sort of hand on a hot ring revulsion. How is it then then you can get your drive your message home, which you've explained beautifully and obviously it shines through for me, at least in my viewing of the film. How can you go about then sort of um, allowing for people to ingest that? Because if if they just have such a... Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, look, and and I wish I I could get more people through and, and, and if there was a way how, how would I change it to get my message across my only fear would be that it would dilute the message and I'd have to do one of those films that we've talked about that kind of don't that I don't feel in the guts so it is the price I pay you're 100% right it's not for everyone and I truly respectful of all those people that choose not to partake in it um uh, yeah, it's not a comic book film. It's not intended to, you know, be seen by the huge masses. I wish it. I wish it was. Everyone that seems it's um, thus far, and you know, we've only been out a few days, but um, be it here or internationally, the the response has been um, really uh, reassuring. Is the word that comes to mind? Because for years I had doubt, and I and and I had, you know, I was constantly interrogating the script and the 
and the decision to do the project and and, and the response has, has been very reassuring that everything that I was trying to achieve and get across seems to be getting across. And, and those that are willing to take the journey um, seem to get something out of it. Um, so, yeah, I can only hope, you know, other people continue and people like yourself that have seen it and get anything out of it can, you know, pass on the message and the word of mouth and people, people will, will go and, and see that it's not. Because, yeah, there's always a fear that it will be, be um, something gratuitous or salacious or something like that. Um, but I'm fairly confident in the approach we took that, that it's the opposite of those things. No, I'm in agreement with you. Absolutely. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think that anyone could possibly construe that after a viewing or, or walk away thinking that. What, what is the main message that you would like, Sean, to, to communicate to, to those that uh, if they're not going to at least, uh, if they're not going to watch the film, what is something in which you'd like to, to communicate from them that you think encapsulates what it was that you were trying to convey with the, the writing and the making of the trip? Um. Look, I mean, there's, there's lots of things and I'm, I'm sort of a writer who doesn't like to say, I hope they take this away kind of thing. But with this one, it's a little bit easy because I had to, you know, in order to get it made and, and, and in order to, to want to make it myself, I had to stand for something because it was going to be upsetting for a lot of people and, and I totally understand that. So I, I very, very early on put my flag in the ground and stated that it was an anti-gun film. And, um, and I think the film that you see and, and, and the cards at the end uh, make, make, get that message across. So, um, yeah, for, for those people that don't want to see it, I totally understand. For those people that maybe have seen the Snowtowns or the true history of the Kelly Yangs and are expecting some, you know, because those films got quite violent in certain passages and, and it, it just puts people off, then I can assure them that there, while there is a tension in this film, there is less Mm. of that visualized um but yeah just you know as as i was saying i i do think australia as a nation is slowly learning and it takes a really long time it seems i mean we can only speak to our treatment of the indigenous but these the idea of looking back at our past history and particularly our negative aspects of our history i think we're, we're pretty slow to come around to you know, it's 25 years now and, and um, you know, it shouldn't be hundreds of years like it was with the Indigenous before mm. we start to look at it and, and, and investigate it and, and try to, you know, protect our communities so that it doesn't happen again. And that was the major, that was a major aspect of me doing it was it when researching, knowing that this legislation that I speak so fondly of knowing that it wasn't fully implemented and knowing that not only that, but some of the things that were implemented have kind of rescinded. So, um, yeah, I just, I think as a reminder, not just to, you know, places like America, but to ourselves and our own, our own nation. Yeah, it was, that was really those, some really unsettling sort of um, parting sentences there with the, the fact that um, not no state or territory followed exactly the sort of national gun reforms as they were supposed to and that there's more guns now within Australia than than there was I didn't know that any of that so that was mm. that was um disquieting food for thought thinking about that after the end and the credits roll but look Sean absolute pleasure talking to you on the, the podcast today and um shedding some light on it. I think that Nitrum will do as well as it uh, absolutely should, critically acclaimed, as well as I think that and, uh, 
I, I hope that a lot of our viewers will be drawn to it and be able to to see what you've set out to achieve because I do emphatically believe that you have achieved that and uh, Justin so yeah man absolute pleasure talking to you yeah thanks so much Sam cheers so everyone that was Sean Grant talking to me about his new film his uh, latest collaboration with director Justin Kurzel Nitram which has done rightfully tremendously well within Cannes I think they've got a standing ovation in Cannes um yeah can't stress enough I know the subject matter is innately horrific but the film itself uh, I think is incredibly definitely well done and is in dire need of an audience. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, as we also discussed, how a event, historical event within Australia some 25 years ago or so is still relevant and applicable and pervasive and a pervasive sort of societal uh, issue within America and some other places. So wish that wasn't the case. It's also interesting that um, Sean mentioned about how if that was the case, then films like this wouldn't need to be made. So it is a truly veritably important film, and I do recommend going out and watching it. Uh, I can assure you that at no point was it gratuitous in my opinion. So yes, please do go check it out when it, when I suspect it will drop on the stream platform stand in the coming days or weeks. I'll share that information on the... Um, on the bio slash link of this particular description, I will put the uh, link to Stan, where you can sign up if you haven't already to, to get a copy of that. And I'm sure it'll also be released. Well, I know for a fact it is also being re released theatrically and cinematically as well. So be sure to go out and see that movie as well. Huge thanks again to Sean for discussing with me Nitram on the podcast, being so sort of... um informative insightful about how that came to be as well as his thoughts on um, this unbelievably still ongoing issue of gun-related violence and mass shootings that still plagues uh, contemporary 2021 society but yes uh i digress in the interim thank you so much to you for listening to this episode and all other episodes of the program please check out the back catalog ever proliferating black black back catalog if you haven't already fallen over my own words there to say how much the back catalogue must be revisited. But yes, please do be sure to check out those other old episodes if you haven't already. There's getting up to like, what, nearly getting kissing close to 50 episodes of the program. I'm really enjoying seeing all those numbers of people going back and listening to some of those old episodes that are getting now nearly a year old because the uh, program is nearly reaching its first birthday. So thank you so much for your patronage and your support. Please do go back and listen to those other episodes and always be sure to give a cheeky follow on Spotify if this is where you're listening to this on. Uh, thank you very much. I'll continue with the final remainders of the guests in which I outline on the, the video that I posted on Instagram the other day and Facebook. And yeah, there will be maybe a cheeky couple of sneaky uh, surprise guests uh, coming down the pipeline. But in the interim, thank you so much for listening to this episode and have a lovely evening now.